Father, we come before you thanking you for your goodness. God, we come before you thanking you that you are gracious to us, uh, that you give us opportunities to study your word together. But Lord, not only that, that you are coming back one day and in the twinkling of an eye, we will be changed and transformed into the eternal state to which you've called us. And Father, as your church, we're so grateful that that ends up being in your presence and in your goodness. Oh, God, thank you. Lord, open our eyes this morning to hear your word, to study and to know it. God, open our eyes to to love what you have given to us and to be changed by it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. The godless Sigmund Freud described dreams as the royal road to understanding unconscious, our unconscious values and thoughts. In other words, he thought that by us sharing our dreams, we could learn deep secrets that we thought in the subconscious, and we could learn more about ourselves because of what our dreams said. And that began an industry of of interpreting dreams and what those things might mean about us. And so this morning, I'm going to give you a couple of those ideas so that you see. And then we're going to look at uh, what does the Bible say? One of those, how many of you have had a dream of falling or a recurring dream that you're falling? Okay. That means that you, that you may think, according to uh, these dream interpreters, that, uh, that you're afraid of a new direction in life that you might be going down. Uh, there might be some that you end up in a public place unclothed and ashamed of your nakedness. And they say, well, uh, that, that might prove that subconsciously you, you feel like you have imperfections or shortcomings. That you need to deal with those. Some have dreams about being chased. Anybody ever been chased in a dream? Whether it be an animal, an unknown person, uh, or uh, a scary monster or something like that. Well, that might indicate that you have fears that you're running away from and you're not facing those. Here's one that I've had oftentimes. Dreams about getting your teeth knocked out. Anybody ever had that dream? Oh, if I could have a dollar for every time my teeth got knocked out in my dreams. You know what they tell me about that I have? I, um, I am concerned about vanity. That is, that, Stephen agrees with that one. So you and Freud would get along well, Stephen. Uh, others, uh, I'll, I'll give you the rest of the, the top nine dreams that are reoccurring that people have. Dreams about dying. Dreams about taking a test. Allison tells me all the time, I showed up for the test and I wasn't ready. I was back in college again. She has an underlying failure subconsciously in her mind that she needs to be dealing with. How about dreams of infidelity? Dreams about flying. You're flying through the air. Or finally, the the ninth most common dream, dreams about being pregnant. I've never had one of those. Um, 
But that, that uh, apparently has to do with uh, representing fears of being an inadequate mother. While the godless industry has ways of interpreting dreams that happen to us and things that they tell us that they mean, what we find in the Bible is that dreams are a, a very significant uh, portion of of the way in which God not doesn't tell about us, but tells about what He is going to do. And in the Bible, we see several times God using dreams and that that time in which we have no control over our thoughts, in which to communicate great things that He is going to do. And where you see Sigmund Freud saying, "Well, this is all about you," uh, well, in the in the Scripture, it, it's. It's not. It's, it's about God's plan and what God is doing. And I'm not here to implicate that every dream we have is about what God is doing. I'm not here to say that. What I am here to say is the biblical view of what we see of what dreams did do was it was a way of God taking control over the thoughts of man in order to give a glimpse into who he is. Because God is going to do a great work and reveal it beforehand. If you have your Bible, I want to invite you to open up to Daniel chapter 2. Last week, we looked at the, uh, the, uh, the theme of, of, well, does anybody remember the Hebrew word we talked about last week? Chochmah. Yeah, and if you say it in your Hebrew language, you get that chochmah. And that is the, the idea that God has given skill. I was talking to Adam about it this morning. The skill that God has given us, not only just to make wise decisions, but in to do the things that God, and to weave all of the, the goodness that God has made in creation into something that is honoring and pleasing to Him. And, and some of you reflect that in your garden. Some of you reflect that in your woodwork or in your metalwork. Some of you reflect that at your job by how you program or, or how you make all the, the accounting numbers line up. Uh, in which some people can't do, but you're, you're establishing order to all that God has created. And what we saw last week was that God has given this gift of, of great insight and skill to Daniel and his friends, Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael. And they are able to have this view of, of all existence and a special gifting of God of understanding in which they are able to be ten times better, says the scripture, than all of the wise men of that day and age. God has given the gift. Now, I hope that you took some time this week to think about, okay, I'm, I'm surrounded by this world. What is God doing? How is he ordering things? What's my role in ordering things together to honor God? This week we pick up in Nebuchadnezzar chapter 2 and there is an application of chokhmah. There's an application of God's ordering of things together that we're going to see. And the Lord uses the gift that he's given to Daniel in order to communicate what's coming. And in order to set the plan in motion for David to communicate not just the plan in Nebuchadnezzar's life, but the plan 600 years later. That will come. Uh, while you're turning to Daniel 2, 
And uh, thinking about that thought, let me read to you from 1 John chapter 1. This is our year of being together. We're glad that you're here this morning with us together and celebrating uh, the Lord together in Koinonia. Let me read to this to you. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all our sin. Fellowship with each other, fellowship with God. That's why we're here together this morning. Let's begin in Daniel chapter 2, verse 1. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had what church? Dreams. He had dreams. His spirit was what? Now this is, this is important. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. So we have a problem. We have a problem. Um, now in context of Daniel writing this, he has just told us that God has gifted and given this gift of, of wisdom and chokmah to, to this group of people. And then we're introduced with a problem. Now, I don't know if you know. If the king's got a problem, then, then everybody's got a problem. Because Nebuchadnezzar is the kind of king that's not just going to sit around and, and stoically or patiently endure his problem. He's going to demand a solution. And, and thankfully, God has given that solution. And God is going to offer that solution. But, but here's the thing that sometimes we miss here. Guess what else God did in this situation? God causes the problem. Right? You, you see it? Because these dreams, if, if we think about dreams, what we understand is, you know, if we have a biblical understanding of God, we see that he's working in all of these situations. And this, this dream is not just a random happenstance. This is an orchestrated event that God brings into Nebuchadnezzar's mind for a greater purpose. And this is what, as we read Daniel, here's the temptation sometimes as Christians. Daniel's such a good guy. Let's take a stand like Daniel and be Daniels. And while there's something to that, and we don't need to ignore that, the grander scheme of Daniel is God is moving. And God has a message to proclaim. And if we are just looking at how we can be like Daniel, we're missing the rest of the context of why Daniel was like Daniel. And what God is doing that's bigger than Daniel. Because this book of Daniel, one of the key themes of it is not Daniel. The key theme of the book of Daniel is there is a kingdom coming. And Daniel is a part in communicating that, that the kingdom of God is coming. And it is bigger than every other kingdom that exists. And that's what this dream's all about. This dream's about something much bigger than Daniel. It's about a kingdom to come that is an eternal kingdom. And let's get to that. Remembering this trouble, Nebuchadnezzar has dreams, verse 1. His spirit was troubled, his sleep left him, but God has provided. In fact, look back a, a chapter to Daniel 1.17, and you see that, that this is a story playing out, that, that Daniel is recounting. The story as he writes it to say, look, God provided and then God stirred things up. 
He tells us in verse 17, as for the four youths, God gave them learning and chokmah and all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in what? Visions and dreams. In other words, God is authoring this story. The Lord is over this. He's given a gift and he's given a problem. And now God is going to use his gift to use the problem to proclaim something that we need to know. That's, that's what's going on here today. Let's go to verse 2. Then the king commanded that the magicians, these are the godless magician, ma- magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So Nebi's got a problem. He wants people to tell him a solution. So, and look, this is what the world does. The world has a problem. Let's find a worldly solution. That's exactly what Nebuchadnezzar is going to do. So they came to him and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic. And now this is just for a note of you. We'll come back to this later. But for a note, now the book of Daniel transforms from, from ancient Hebrew into a different language. So from verse 4 forward, it stays in Aramaic. Different language. We'll get to that. I'm just making a note of that for you right now. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will show you the interpretation. Seems fair, right? We've seen this story before. Several times in the scripture. Tell me your dream. I can interpret it. Verse 5. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, I'm not going to change my mind. Get ready. The word from me is firm. If you do not make me make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb and your houses shall be laid in ruin. All right, Caleb, what do you think about that? Not only do you need to tell me what my dream means, but now you got to tell me what my dream was. Possible. I mean, if I told you guys to, hey, tell me what my dream was last night, y'all couldn't even tell me what the color of my socks are. But now you got to read into what I thought last night in the middle of the night. It, it's no, impossible. Precisely. <laughs> right? Now, do you think Nebuchadnezzar made that choice just willy nilly? That was a random choice of his. No. Again, we see the hand of God moving even through the pagan king, Nebuchadnezzar. In fact, Daniel will tell us later that the God turns the heart of the king like a river. He steers it. And, and this is what happens. Nebuchadnezzar, you know what? You don't just tell me what my dream means. You have to tell me what my dream is. And if you don't, what's going to happen, church? What happens to those who can't tell him? Yeah, trouble. Big trouble. And that's what despots do. That's what authoritarian kings do. They will intimidate you and bring the fear upon you to get what they want. And so that's what Nebuchadnezzar does. You'll be torn limb from limb. Or someone trans- someone else translated, you'll be torn to pieces. But 
Verse 6, if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. Boy, that sounds like a rough deal, doesn't it? But sure, I'll give you a bunch of stuff if you can do what I want you to do. And look, that, that is the method of the world from the beginning. Like Ecclesiastes, there, there's nothing new under the sun. But as I read this and, and studied and, and thought through this, um, I, Nebuchadnezzar is not a fool. Nebuchadnezzar is a guy who seems to be a pretty smart guy. Nebuchadnezzar could come and say, look, here was my dream. You tell me the interpretation. And what were all of these magicians and sages and wise guys going to do? Oh, oh, let me reference my Sigmund Freud over here. Ah, you were falling. That means that you are insecure about the future. I was listening to, um, on Monday, a radio show. It was a, it was a sports talk show. Right? And, um, and on this sports talk show, they had somebody that came on and said, um, and, and it was a fortune teller. I was like, what? Why is a fortune teller on his? And so the, the host of the show said, look, this is, um, these teams are playing tonight. Who's going to win the game? And the fortune teller gave these things. I was like, this is absolutely comical. The things that were being said. Because it's, it's those vague things like, well, if this team wins, it's because of this. And if this team wins, it's because of that. See? Nebuchadnezzar's no fool. And he says, if you really want me to think that you understand and know what my dream is about, then you tell me the dream. And then I'll believe that the interpretation is true. And I'll have some way of gauging it. So here's, here's again, here's what the Lord does. The Lord is able to take a pagan, not God-fearing king, and use him to proclaim a message that we're going to look at primarily next week. So you've got to come back next week. But to proclaim a message... Of hope for all people. He's going to take a godless king and use him for his story. For his grand theater. For God to show something. This is not just, remind you, this is not just a story in the Bible to say this is just narrative. This is God moving to proclaim a greater hope for the, the hundreds of years And for us today to know that there is something bigger than Nebuchadnezzar, than the Babylonians, than the Medes, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, or anybody else, the Americans. There's something bigger. So let's keep going. Look in verse 7. Now they answered a second time and said, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will show his interpretation. So at this point, they're like, look, what you have given us is impossible. So let me let me remind you of this. The world oftentimes knows that its ways of doing things are, are truly inadequate. True, truly does. 
Um, and, and this goes to show, and one of the things that this, uh, that one of the commentators uh, said on this, I was listening to uh, yesterday. He said, you know, this, this passage is going to show that, look, those who don't have the Spirit of God truly cannot do the miraculous. They cannot do the things that, that God would, that God can do. God is a God bigger than what this world can do. And while there are demonic powers and there's, there are things that happen in, in the spiritual sense, remember, demons are not all powerful. God is. And as the Bible is very clear, our God is in the heaven and he does all that he pleases. So can I just take a moment to remind you, oftentimes the schemes that the the godless use in this world are just that. They are schemes. There's a there's a, a, a wizard, a man behind the curtain, if you will. And oftentimes there are things and, and ways that things are put forward to say, look, see, we are great. We are we are mighty. We are powerful. But there's something behind that. There, there, there's a, a trick behind it. And, and the trick behind any of these fortune tellers that we see today or, or on Highway 1, and we've got them on in our own community. Before we move on, let me look, remind you of some prior dreams that we have. Uh, how does the Bible use dreams and why? So I've already alluded to it. When, when you go to sleep, you don't control what you're thinking about. Now, oftentimes, if you, if you go to sleep with anxiety or something like that, you might have an anxious dream. And, and sometimes you, you may have a dream of, a, of, of something you, you just are not um, able to, to come to, to end with. Maybe there's a strained relationship, and that might show up in a dream. Or maybe there's a, a, a strained uh, problem at work that you, you have anxiety, and that may show up in your, in your dreams or thoughts. But that's not what we're talking about here right now. Look back in the Bible and we see that there's something much bigger. That God uses dreams to communicate greater truths. Now, does anybody remember a, a guy named Abimelech back in Genesis? Remember a guy named Abimelech? Anybody remember what Abimelech was doing and why God came and communicated to Abimelech in a dream? Abimelech had taken Abraham's wife from him. And, and God came to him in a dream and he said this in Genesis 20 verse 3. God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman with whom you have taken. She is a man's wife. Now God spoke to him through this dream because God was working his plan to, to bring about uh, the future of Israel and the hope of Israel, which is Jesus. And God spoke to him. We have many other instances. We have Jacob and his ladder. If you remember, the angels going up and forth on the ladder. We have Joseph, the sun, moon, and stars bowing down to him, if you remember that. And that was a future prophecy that his family would be bowing down to him. God used that dream. We have Pharaoh and Joseph interpreting the dream of the, the cows and the skinny cows and the fat cows and the, the healthy grain and the unhealthy grain. If you remember those, God used those. And here we go again. God is using 
dreams to bring out something bigger. Let's verse 8. The king answered him and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time. Because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream, there is one, but one sentence to you. You'll be torn in pieces. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. Nebuchadnezzar, here's what I think is going on here. And this is my opinion. What I think is going on here is I think Nebuchadnezzar has probably been given some, uh, some advice by some of these guys. And then Daniel, Azariah, Hananiah, Mishael come in. And, and, Daniel, and Nebuchadnezzar sees these guys and like, these guys actually know what they're talking about. And, and then he sees his, his group and his cohort and says, you know, I'm not so sure that you guys know what you're doing. And so when this next dream comes, God leads him to the place to say, I don't really trust y'all. And deep down inside, I don't think y'all are telling me the truth. Let me, uh, let me share something with you this morning. Um, I believe that oftentimes people who are not Christians, when they hear somebody who's been given uh, an understanding of the Christian faith, and who speaks with authority. Like, I, I believe this stuff. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Here's my evidence. There were prophecies that were foretold that Jesus came and he fulfilled. That hundreds and even more than a thousand years before he came were given. And Jesus perfectly fulfilled that one. And that one. And that one. And that one. And we see all these things. And then you get to the resurrection and the fact that Jesus rose from the dead and then appeared to 500 witnesses. And then you get to how all of the scripture comes together and how it's all brought together. And, and, it, and it all tells the same story from, from many different authors over hundreds and hundreds of years, how it all comes together. And, and you begin to share this with people and people go, you know, all I've heard is the Bible is just a book of contradictions and it's just a set of rules to try to trick people and, and brainwash the weak minded. Romans chapter 1 says this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Who by their unrighteousness, help me out church, what does it say they do? Suppress the truth. I believe people that you talk to that are not Christian, church, dial in here. People that you talk to, by unrighteousness, are suppressing the truth. Nebuchadnezzar is surrounded by people who will tell him what he wants to hear. But they have no foundation for what they're telling. It's the removal of God from this system, from the Chokmah. It's a, it's a message that's void of its fuller meaning, its truer meaning. Friends, as we share the message of Jesus Christ with others, one of the things that we need to know 
is that unrighteousness in us or in people causes people to suppress the truth. Nebuchadnezzar figured that out. You guys are lying. You're just making this stuff up. And at some point, as God gifted Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael, God is gifting you and people like you to be able to communicate the truth in a manner that, that brings about a response from people. But here's what we as Christians must know. Oftentimes, there's nothing we can say to change people's mind. Unrighteousness is a deeply rooted craving in people's hearts that, that takes the truth that we present to people and suppresses it. It hides it under the mud so that it's unclear, so that it's distorted. But what we're seeing here. And what we will see in the story of Nebuchadnezzar is God is going to use the truth nonetheless to proclaim a message that needs to be told. And ultimately that message is that the kingdom of God is greater than any other kingdom and that its king is greater than any other king. And that's why he's called the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And while Daniel was proclaiming that from behind, looking ahead, we as Christians today are ahead of that, looking back and saying, yeah, see how clear it is. Jesus did fulfill all the prophecies. Jesus was crucified for our sin. He did die on the cross to pay for sinners' death. And Jesus did rise from the grave. And so we proclaim this on the other side, saying the kingdom that Daniel was looking forward to is the kingdom that we can say, yes, the king came. And now we're inviting people to come into this kingdom. The kingdom that will reign forever and ever. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. And that glory is not going away. It is an eternal glory. And it's a glory that showed up 2,000 years ago, church. And that we receive by faith today, seeing the evidence of what's been proclaimed to us and passed on to us. So church, here's a question for us. Are you passing that message along to your next generation? Is a grandmother passing that to her grandson? And I would say in some cases we've seen evidence of that. And just recently we've seen that. And I know some of you grandparents are taking your grandchildren and saying, I'm going to bring you to church because this is special to me. This is valuable to me. And you parents are saying, I'm bringing you to church, son and daughter, because this is a message that is precious and it's eternal and it's worth hearing. And it's the truth. So church, may I give to you, don't give up. I want y'all to know that every Sunday morning in my class, we pray for family members that are not Christian. Every Sunday morning. And I know the other classes, I'm sure that you do as well. Unrighteousness suppresses the truth oftentimes. People want to do things that are unrighteous. But that does not negate the fact 
that we as Christians are to proclaim the truth regularly, faithfully, and appropriately to others. And what we're going to see, Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael, are God's chosen vehicles to do that for such a time as this. And it's not going to be without cost. It's not going to be without fear. It's not going to be without risk. But God in his goodness chose a faithful people to proclaim the kingdom. And so church, can I, can I rally us together and say we need to be a kingdom proclaiming church. Jesus Christ is the king. And that's what our intention is to do every Sunday, every Wednesday at Bible study, at our fall outreach at our spring outreach, at our summer camps, at our VBSs, at our Bible studies, at our blast, at our youth, at our luncheons, at our suppers, and all of these things. We are a kingdom proclaiming people. And it doesn't just happen one time. It happens consistently. We are a kingdom people proclaiming the kingdom. The Bible says, the fool says in his heart... There is no God. They are a corrupt. They are abominable. They do abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. Psalm 14. 1. The fool says in his heart there is no God. Why does the Bible call them a fool? Appropriate. Not because they think there is no God. But because they know there is, and they deny it, they suppressed by unrighteousness the truth that they truly know. Why is it that the atheist is so adamant against Christianity, but doesn't ever say anything about Buddhism? You ever wonder that? They don't talk about Muslim. Talk about Christianity. Verse 10 of Daniel, chapter 2. Chaldeans answered and said to the king, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. That's when the church says amen. (laughs) Right? I mean, that's the whole point of this. Nobody can do that, king. You're crazy. Yep. For no great and powerful king has asked such a great thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The king that asked the, uh, the thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with the flesh. <laughs> I mean, that, that's the point. Verse twelve. Because of this, the king was very angry and furious. And commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be, what? Destroyed. Kill them all then. They can't give me what I want. Kill them all. How about that for the the soul of the godless man? So the decree went out and the wise men were about to be killed. This is a problem, right? Because who's included in the wise men? Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael. 
So the decree went out. All the wise men were about to be killed. And they sought Daniel and his companions. Why? To kill them. Daniel would be a much shorter book if it were only one and a half chapters, right? Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion. I love it. He's respectful. He, he says, all right, Arioch. He's the command of the king's guard. He's the guy with the, the knife in his hand, if you will. He said to the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? What's going on? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. And Daniel responds. Verse 16. What is Daniel going to do? Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time. What, church? Say, what? So Daniel comes and he says, look, make me an appointment. I'll talk to the king. I'll give the interpretation to the king. Make an appointment. Now, desperate times call for desperate measures, right? But Daniel says, I can do this. But not really I. Make that appointment. And Daniel doesn't make just one appointment. He's going to make two appointments. The first one is, hey, king. I can share the interpretation with you. But look at the second appointment in verse 17. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to, y'all say their names with me, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. And he told them, seek mercy from the God of heaven. So his appointment with King Nebi, and he makes an appointment with King of Kings. Because this was not going to mean anything unless he goes before God and he prays and he says, let us seek mercy from the God of heaven. If anybody can rescue us, it's the God of heaven. It's the God we know who is bigger than Nebuchadnezzar. Let us seek his face. And that's what he does. He says, let's seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. So Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the men of Babylon. Let me close this morning in this. This world we live in is a place that is governed in many aspects by what 2 Corinthians 4 calls the God of the sage. Thinking that is of a demonic um, Intent of a demonic creation. Uh, it is power hungry. It is corrupt in, in, to the core in all of its ways. And I'm not saying anything that, that you haven't heard before. I'm, I'm just setting the table here. And there is a day that you will, you will face death's door. Just as Daniel has faced death's door. And whether that be because a military coup happens and you're caught in the crossfire. Or whether that's because some disease like cancer or Alzheimer's comes. Or whether that's because you have a a fatal car accident. 
Death will come to your door as it's come to the door of Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And the Bible says it is appointed for man to die, each man, every man, to die and to face judgment after. And so here, what you see Daniel doing in the face of death is crying out to mercy to his God. And so I want to speak just for a moment. If you are not a Christian this morning and you've never cried out to mercy for God to save your soul, I want to tell you that when you die, it's not going to be were you a good person. God's not going to ask you, were you a good person? Were you better than Adolf Hitler? Because if you were, I'm going to let you be eternally happy and blessed. That is not what the Bible says. The kingdom that Daniel was looking forward to was a king who would save sinners from their sin. But not every sinner from every sin. The kingdom that Daniel will proclaim next week to us is that there's a king who saves sinners who repent of their sin. And who will humbly enter into a new kingdom. Not the kingdom that the devil has over this world, the demonic forces have over this world, but the kingdom that Jesus has established where I will let Jesus rule my heart. And for the Christians here this morning, this is what we've done. We've said, yes, Jesus, I recognize that apart from you, when death comes to my door, I know there is eternal judgment and hell awaits from me apart from the grace of your son. And so when Daniel says, cry out for mercy, He's speaking of a temporal mercy from Nebuchadnezzar. What I'm saying today is there is an eternal mercy that you need. And young people, if you've never surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus himself himself spoke of eternal fire that awaits those who neglect the gift of salvation that he offers. But it will cost you something, and it will cost you your allegiance for the rest of your days. And so what every Christian in this room has done is said, Jesus, I am surrendering the rest of my life and eternity to you. I am humbling myself and saying, I want to enter the kingdom of heaven. Because I know that if I go my own way and do my own thing, I've felt it all my life. The end is destruction. And what a Christian will do is say, I'm going to enter these these waters of baptism, and I'm going to publicly say, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ and be a part of his eternal kingdom, and my allegiance will be to him forever. Jesus saves sinners who repent. And so I offer to you this morning, offer you the similar prayer that Daniel gave to his friends. Seek mercy from the God of heaven today. Be saved from your sin. Do not suppress the truth any longer. There is a suppression that will lead you into damnation at the hand of God. But there is a rich hand of mercy that God has for all who believe and turn unto him. Will you come into the hand of mercy, receive the glory of God, and receive his son, and humble yourself before him? That is the the plea that I make with you this morning. Seek mercy from the God of heaven while there's still time. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the kingdom you've given us. Save souls this morning, Lord. Transform lives. 
We give you honor and glory. We give it to you in Jesus' name. Amen.